Welcome to the Cavern Today, Episode 4 for August 2010. This is your host, Mowak. We apologize for the delay between our casts. We've actually been really excited to get this cast done and out to our fans. For the first time in quite a while, we've managed to assemble more than one of our international cast members in a chat, which took a scheduling recipe that included a healthy dash of random opportunity that made it all possible. Uru has been through more than a few incarnations, having been a multiplayer-only game, then at the behest of Ubisoft, a tacked-on conversion to single-player, followed by a beta live version and then the quiet that followed, leading to the long wait for Until Uru. And like Uru, the cavern today has gone through several iterations, answering the fortuitous as well as the unforeseen. We began when Uru was in the Until Uru stage, and the community had no sense of what date the Until pointed to, and so we made the best of what was available, which meant leveraging Uru for storytelling and events that were unrelated to Uru canon. And despite the lack of official story and ages, we had a great time with each other then. As news from Uru has continued to come, but only in bits and pieces, this month's podcast will be more of an over-the-fence production. That is, with news and topical points ranging more into recent news of gaming and modern tech. We answer the call, and the call doesn't always land us in the scope of Uru. Having said that, we have a great podcast for you this month. Our chat is slightly longer than the anticipated length, but the topics are very interesting, including the now constantly talked about 3D movement in theaters and soon in home entertainment, moving on to our belated impressions of E3 and much, much more. We have a special treat with a musical piece featured a bit later, introduced by our own Jeff Wise. So prepare to enjoy Podcast 4. Well, prepared or not, here we go. Welcome to another edition of DCT Talk. Uh, today we have Jeff Wise. Hey, hi. Nathus. Hello. Nick. Nareen. Hello. Yep, two names. I'm special like that. Uh, Miles. Hello. And me, Morris. So let's get started with our first bullet point. What is uh, first? our first bullet point? Is 3D in TVs and games? Uh, the old 3D. I I cannot. I am so tired of 3D already. I don't want to hear any more about it. It's all gimmickry, in my opinion. Am I alone in that? I thought Toy Story 3 in 3D was pretty good. I enjoyed that. I didn't enjoy the last Airbender in 3D, but then I don't think anyone enjoyed it full stop. So, kind well, of a I, bit of useless benchmark. I don't think that every movie needs to be in 3D, but they're really hammering it in the movie industry right now because they are trying to attract people to spend money in the movie theater rather than you know just watching oh but hold on though hold on though they're gonna make uh in a few short years they're gonna make every tv 3d capable yeah but i mean that that's assuming that you've got like a pair of glasses and you've spent i don't know how many hundred dollars buying uh you know multiple pairs of glasses for your entire family you you know what i think the problem really is long-term solution 
I think that these plasmas and these LCD TVs are just getting too cheap. People, you know, real people can buy these things. That's not right. We've got to fix that. We've got to make this premium again. It's, it's time for 4K TVs. We need, yes. to, uh, we need to double the resolution again. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It's, it, <laughs> I, I cannot get with this 3D thing. And, like, when I, <sighs> when I went to go see Avatar, I told her the specific showing time. And she gave me 3D glasses, like, this showing is not 3D. Oh, I gave you this time, like... Did it sound like I said that time? So then I had to go return it and go see my 2D movie, and then. Uh, I mean, I I enjoyed av- watching Avatar in 3D. It only kind of really started to irk me when you get to the big, you know, the huge shots of you know things burning and ash flying all over the place, and there's all this ash flying towards you. And you're like, oh, that's wonderful, and then it hits the edge of the screen, and then just disappears. And it's kind of like, oh, that's right. I'm just watching, like, yes. you know, some you sort get of holographic the, illusion as opposed and it's like to like squared really. off when it flies yeah, out of yeah. the screen, especially out of the corner, or or they've got yeah. an over shoulder shot and the guy's body mm. is just squared off. It yeah. the only movie I've actually enjoyed in 3D is How to Train Your Dragon. That was done really well, but I'm not a big fan of live action. Alice in Wonderland, shocking, really, really pathetic. Mm. Yeah. Is it just me, or three D movies really feel more like a three D picture book of a film? Like everything's flat, yeah. but they're flat on different levels, different yeah. layers. Oh, I saw Superman Returns in IMAX three D, which my friend Ron would go on for hours telling you why IMAX three D is so much better than what they do in the other movie theaters. But um, like so many cases, the three D is only part of the movie because they don't take the time or the money to do a full conversion, which I guess is too expensive. And I just I was annoyed at the parts where like the screen said to put on your glasses. Like I don't, this is too interactive of a movie mm. experience for me. And in many cases, just like when I saw Avatar at uh, at the theater, I was like, this is going to look better on my 1080p screen. And true to form, it did. So mm. yeah, and yeah, the 3D I, TVs I, at home, uh, they really only look good if you're looking at them from a very particular angle. I mean, a lot of people. You know, when they're watching TV in the home and stuff, sometimes they're using it as kind of like a social thing where they're having conversations. The TV's on in the background. People are watching a sports game or something. Mm-hmm. You know, and everyone in that room, if they want to watch TV, have to have the glasses right now, and they have to be at an angle that uh, allows them to see the 3D in in effective way. There was a thing on a. Uh... This week in tech, where Leo Laporte talked about Sony talking about Milo, if you remember that, uh, where he was talking about like, this is a this is a phenomenon. This is going to be a big deal. And like this is one of the things like you can't have the companies telling you what's going to be the next big thing. And that's what what I think we're happening with 3D here. Mm. And they're 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 kind of shoving it hard and trying to make it the next big thing. I mean, I think I don't see 3D ever becoming the standard, like the default position for you know movies and for TV, simply because. You, you end up, like, I mean, this is how I am, I don't know about you guys, but when I watch, you know, a lot of 3D things or play a lot of 3D games, I get to the point uh, sooner or later where I'm just fatigued, like I'm, I've had enough of watching something in 3D, I need to go back to the regular 2D stuff, so I don't see how they're going to be able to supplant 2D, you know, with this 3D stuff as, like, the default standard, because simply, I don't think people would be able to deal with watching everything in 3D. The thing is, 3D isn't really for people like us, right? I mean, my wife teaches a class of fourth graders. They love 3D. I mean, they they drag their parents down to every single 3D movie. It's aimed at at the kids, um, mm. you know, from Pixar to DreamWorks, and they're trying to transplant that into the kind of live action, more mature movies. But that's where it falls down. So, what are you saying about old fogies? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, also, what I'm about the people who like lost an eye? 
in an accident and they have to wear an eye patch. All this stuff yes, is discrimination. Just, yeah. Exactly. Well, you know, the Crisis 2 was just delayed, which means, uh, I guess it's supposed to be like, it's going to be like the avatar of, uh, of 3D in video games. And so now it's been delayed to 2011. So I'm just wondering, like, is it delayed because, you know, we need to get the 3D right so we can, you know, become the benchmark of 3D. Like, uh, you guys are supposed to be the benchmark for PC graphics. How did that work out? <laughs> now, on the yeah, other I, hand, though, as far as games go, uh, things like this, the new uh, 3DS that they were showing at E3, mm-hmm. that's a direction I think that 3D might actually have a future in. Because mm-hmm. that device has a slider where you can you can adjust the level of 3D even to off. If you get tired of the 3D, you can turn it off. Just as you yeah. mentioned about the socialization of uh, using TV and what have you, um, the 3DS is kind of, it's not a multiple people can't enjoy it. You think that's where we're headed is more personal uh, viewing experiences that are 3D? I definitely think so. Because, um, I mean, a big television in a room, it, more, multiple people are watching it, and right now there's just a really high bar of entry for a family to enjoy a 3D program together. Because everyone has to have glasses, everyone has to be sitting at a certain angle, but if you have like a 3DS is like a personal thing, and plus it doesn't need glasses. There is no yes. way I am ever wearing glasses watching television. Mm-hmm. It, there's, just, so. there's just too much of a nerd factor there, I could never get over that. I always wear glasses watching television, but that's because I wear glasses. The glasses are clearly sort of the biggest obstacle, I think. Just Mm. You know, technology in general, let alone how it's going to develop in the future. So, you know, like people just don't want to wear, you know, glasses. And it's kind of interesting, like, can, you know, you, the 3DS technology, you know, uh, I mean, it probably cost a million, but can you transplant that um, at some stage to a a larger screen, like a, like, you know, a television or something? Is that. Or, or does it transplant outside of rendered games? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, all these sorts of things. Um, you know, I think you know if 3D wants to be, you know, the next big thing. I, I'm not convinced it is the next big big thing yet. But if it really wants to sort of take everything over, then yeah, it needs to ditch, ditch the glasses. You know, ditch ditch all those you know gimmicky um, impediments to just having a pure viewing experience. Um, otherwise, it's just always going to be sort of that fringe technology that people play around with for a bit and then get bored of. Yeah. So I, I certainly agree that the, the personal side of viewing a 3D experience is where this is heading to. Let's float an idea. The iPhone 4 hasn't been an um, incredible success, at least technically speaking. What if the iPhone 5 has a 3D retina display um, that's got some sort of phase shifting or whatever technology that you don't need glasses to experience it? What's the utility of that on the phone, though? Well, it, you know, the iPhone's far beyond a phone at this point. It's becoming a gaming platform. Well, that's right. true. What if we've got personal gaming on the iPhone in 3D? I mean, but the, already the, had Nintendo 3DS has a has a certain market, but certainly where I come from, it's it's nowhere near the um, the number of iPhones. Yeah. Yeah, and certainly, you know, if even in, like Nvidia was, you know, far and away the first person in on 3D in gaming, and I don't, I'm not, you know, from from what I hear and see, I don't think. That's taken off, you know, at all. For, you know, but again, that's the glasses. I think, in large part, you know, yeah, the just the, the extra, you know, yeah, things being connected to other things and having yeah. things attached to your face that are just annoying. You know, um, if they can remove that, there might be a future. But yeah, like, it, it, it's still the same thing. I think gaming, even more so than 
than films and, and TV is is you know three, a difficult market to crack. I think three D will take off when like half your living room is holographic and you can actually like stand in the movie. That's when three D will take off. Oh, augmented reality stuff, yeah. But, yeah. but at that point, it's not three D anymore. It's something entirely different that just happens to have well, 3D we, we keep getting bigger TVs and I, I think we're up to mm-hmm. 70, 75 inches now um, so I think we're we're getting who has who has room <laughs> I just want Wait. I just want a holodeck that's my in game holodeck <laughs> when is that yeah. going to happen you know the, the holodeck could have so much utility you wouldn't even, even have furniture you know computer render couch <laughs> you need a lot you know, I better put up the nice couch. I have guests coming over today. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's move on to the E3 post impressions. Uh, this is this bullet. These bullet points are getting kind of old because uh, we, you know, dragged our feet on recording this recording. podcast. We are old. Yeah. The, the first, the first, and only thing I really need to focus on the E3 stuff. I was going to keep hoping for Beyond Good and Evil Two, and if they was anything at E3, I'd be happy. But there wasn't. And Didn't you know, it's they claim it's still in production, but it's got a small team to keep the heart of the game. I'm like, that's just lovely. And we'll see you in 2015. That's right. You may say that about Duke Nukem Forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I'm still saying it. I, I can't swallow that. So mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've officially closed the book. You know what's out. funny? What? You, you know what's funny is there's still a, there's still a group of people that insists that Duke Nukem Forever is happening. <laughs> like there's like. Like the CEOs are like, well, we still have the IP, so you know, haha, keep your fingers crossed. And you know, like, after oh. a certain point, it's no longer even relevant. You know, much <laughs> less people care. You know, but you kind of want to keep it going as a joke. It still ends up on like people's, you know, top ten games to be announced at the next E3. Like it's just going to be this mm. continuous thing. Yeah, but it's there as you a know, joke. It's mostly a joke. <laughs> but 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 you know, maybe maybe 3D realms are being really clever and they're going, oh. Maybe someday in the future we'll we'll release a game that happens to use this name and we'll have all this pre-made marketing that we've had the last twenty years. You know. See, I sense like at some point I get my you know my pathetic meter grounded a little bit because I was they were talking about how Monolith has uh, moved away from the Fear series. The the, the next Fear game is going to be done by somebody else, and so everyone's like, okay, now they can finally do that. No one lives forever three that they never did, and I was like, I don't think they're going to do Nolan's for three, even though I would love them to do it. You know, they did Nolan's for two, and to me, they fumbled the ball from the first game. But in any case, uh, then there's people saying, well, where's that Shogun two or Shogun three or whatever Shogun game they were on? I was like, okay, so that this is what I don't want to be. I don't want to be one of these people hoping in vain for 15 years for a new game in a series. You know, so I just I close the book on it and you know if it comes out, that's great. Otherwise, I've got other things in my sights. When is Miss Six coming out? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, what is the big story out of E3 this year? I mean, what it's was the all the move the probably the connect and the move? Oh, that oh, was the really geez. weird thing about this E3 was that it wasn't a E3 for big game announcements. Virtually every game mm, that was announced was either a sequel to something. It was like a franchise game, or it was a game that was being announced. Um, you know, in the case of uh, I think it was Star Wars Force Unleashed Two or, or whatever. Like there was some Star Wars thing. But, like, you know, all these things that were being announced basically to market the motion stuff. And it was kind of like, oh, no, E3, usually a big games thing. But, you know, I can't think of the top of my head any sort of really big game announcements. It was all, as you said, the the connect or move. Neither of which I'm particularly interested in, by the way. Yeah. 
I don't think a lot of people are very interested. Well, there's there's also the 3DS, but you know. I just think it's ironic that Nintendo is the one who wasn't promoting any motion sensing stuff this year. Yep. Well, it's like like, like, with that. We're working on 3D now. (laughs) Oh, 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 you guys doing motion sensing? Oh, that's cute. We're already doing something else. That's so last year. Yeah. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think people will actually look less stupid playing the Wii. Than playing the move or the connect. I mean, move. Have you have you guys seen the the videos for the move? Like the guy skateboarding and, and stuff like that. Like, no one's going to play it. Like, you just oh. look like an idiot. Well, I um, I think the connect has some potential, and I've thought about actually picking it up just like, for my sister because she's been wanting like uh, the Wii Fit. I think she'll like the connect because it, it won't involve her holding anything, but. I don't know. Like, they're talking about like it costing one hundred and fifty dollars. Like, okay, well, maybe I don't want it so much. <laughs> the price <laughs> points are way yeah, too yeah, high. You're for fifty bucks away from getting a Wii. Why don't you just get the Wii? Hey, crap. I mean, I mean the, the, the whole, like... the whole. Uh, I just, I feel like they're trying to pander to a market that isn't there because, like, they're trying to, they're trying to compete with. I mean, the the reason they're popular is because they don't do the motion sensing stuff. People like that. People like the fact that PS3 and the Xbox have games that you need a controller for and you know they you can take those games more seriously so i feel like they're trying to uh, pander to a market that doesn't exist well it's just like the the little uh the me is, too thing they've got, got envy right i mean they, they've 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 got we envy they didn't see it coming it came caught them off guards they've done everything over the last two years to move more towards the Wii market they changed the ui from what was quite a cool ui to this awful avatar me whatever you yeah are. i mean that was what i was about to say but, it's just come on, guys! Like, put a stake in the ground and say we are doing hardcore gaming. That is that is our focus. That is exactly what I, I would say. I would rather them move in the direction they were moving in instead of trying to encapsulate this other thing. And this is like saying, you know, this is where you know PC gaming and versatility is is, is um, superior in my opinion. Still, you know, the PC allows people to play all these different titles from all these different genres. I mean, casual flash games, less casual but still not hardcore games like Bejeweled, or they can play their real-time strategy, their RPGs, their MMOs, and their first-person shooter hardcore. They have this this large cornucopia. And it's like Microsoft is trying to turn the Xbox into the PC for the TV. If you've noticed, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're porting The Sims 3 to the Xbox 360. And I asked my sister, who's a Sims fan, you know, what do you think of that? She's like, there's no way in hell I'm playing that with a controller pad. Not happening. So, and I and I I bought her Tropico for the PC because she or Tropico three she played Tropico before um, she didn't play the second one but the first one with where it's the same as the third one you're a dictator and um, I said well it's actually on the 360 I could get it for you on there and she said I don't want to play a game like that with a con- control pad you need a mouse for that mm. so I think that's like a, a sort of a, a failure of a lot of the the marketing behind these things is that. Um, you know, because I mean, obviously, there's it, it's financially easier just to, you know, jerry rig a pre-existing game or concept onto a new technology platform. They're not really, you know, um, developing things from scratch. And you know, uh, as you say, playing The Sims 3 on on Connect, what does that what does that offer? Nothing much really, except you know, the gimmick of it. And again, if they want to be, if they're serious about uh, you know things like Connect and Move. As you know, gaming platforms, they really need to you know get past the gimmick sales pitch and really you know find out how this thing's going to fundamentally change the way people use their consoles. Well, I still think that. I mean, I think that if I 
could have my druthers, they would rework the interface in the 360 to be a little more usable. Because like when you f- fire up the PlayStation 3, and I think it's a setting I had to change, but it's a setting you can change. When it lands, where it lands in the interface, it lands on the game screen for the game that's inserted into the system. And the Xbox lands on the what's new screen. Like, I don't want the what's new. I want you to land on the damn game. And uh, you could change that by setting it to, you know, whenever it starts up to automatically go into the game. But sometimes I want to start it up and do something before I I fire up the game. But in any case, like, this is is the the place where, you know, Microsoft isn't thinking the functionality purpose uh, thoroughly enough where, you know, if they don't get on the ball, I mean, the PlayStation 3 is gaining traction. The 360, oh. well, has various problems, is, is going to have some issues. I'm sure they're thinking it through. They're thinking, we're going to shove a bunch of ads in your face first before you can play your game. Oh, that's <laughs> that's that's when, you know, PC gaming will suddenly have the second renaissance. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, did you hear about, um, this, is, this is a bullet point I meant to add, and I'm sorry I didn't. Um, there was a piece on Destructoid about, uh, and I'm sure it wasn't on Destructoid, but that's where I saw it, uh, that uh, they... Microsoft tested PC gamers and Xbox gamers on the same multiplayer field, and the PC gamers owned the console gamers, upside wow. and downside. <laughs> and and you know, I, I can almost tell you why they wouldn't let that happen, because suddenly these console gamers are like, hey, wait a minute, I think I need a PC. Look how awesome these people are. So Yeah, and then they lose control of the hardware market. Yeah. Because people are buying it from... Third parties. I mean, yeah, but I think that you know that the Structoid story, you know, it, it's as sort of you know um, big as it was. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was necessarily surprising, at least for most PC gamers. No, no, no. We, we but the thing is, is you, you talk to these people who who swear by console games. Oh, it's it's purpose built for, for yeah, well, yeah. your your console is a PC. Stop. Stop with this purpose built. <laughs> right, and it, it's a, it's a specialized PC, and you have to you can only use it in in very certain kinds of ways. I mean, it, it's kind of funny the fact that we're still using a mouse and keyboard, you know, after all, we have all this haptic stuff and touch interfaces and every, all this, you know, interface stuff that we've developed, particularly recently. Um, but most people, I mean, on PCs, people are just using a mouse and keyboard. And for most gaming, it's much more efficient than using a, con- uh, using a controller, um, particularly first-person shooters and the like. Yeah. It's, I just find it amusing that we haven't actually found anything better yet. I wish that they would actually come up with a hybrid of the gamepad. Um, I like the the uh, the analog controls of the of the game sticks, the uh, mm. the contact sensitivity of the buttons, like the triggers. But if if the the right analog stick could be replaced with like a MacBook Pro touchpad that you could control with your thumb, like I would be that. I think that would. That would level the playing field on the shooter realm. That's in my opinion. And well, I don't I mean think. I don't mean the whole thing. You know, like I don't mean like a four inch by four inch touchpad. I just mean something big enough for your thumb to actually control direction. All right, okay. we we have one of our uh, one of our other staffers, Bert from Belgium, has just joined us. Say Yay. hi. Hey, Bert. Hi, hi. Hello. For once, the international about- actually outnumber the Americans. Oh wait, no, we don't. We're equal. Yeah, we're equal. Mm, a shame. Which is good. Well, we're not equal. We're better, of course, but... Oh, goodness. <laughs> Talk to you later, we'll bud. We'll sit on this side of the room. <laughs> side of the room. So have you guys um, seen this new Magic Trackpad from Apple? Yes. 
As soon as they, mm-hmm. they allow me to put it on the PC, I'll be using it because I would like the, the the lack of fatigue of eight hours of working on a computer without having like mouse fatigue in my my wrist. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been using a MacBook Pro for the last two or three years now as my primary machine. No mouse attached to it, just using the the sort of multi-touch trackpad, and I really don't enjoy using a mouse. I play WoW on my laptop. Um, I you know I do Photoshop via the trackpad. I just don't see the need for a typical traditional mouse. So yeah, I think if, over it, that if, if I had a desktop machine, I have a Surface t- uh, mouse pad, um, which mm. sounds silly, but that's the name of the product. It's a thick mouse pad with like dual sides and a rubber mat to hold it in place. And I was like, if, if they could just make a mouse pad like this, that is a touch surface, like yes. the like the Apple touchpad is, like mm-hmm. it would take off. Like it would be so easy to use, very ergonomic. All you need is your hand there. Um, and people have integrated into keyboards, but I think it gets in the way and gets sloppy that way. Mm. I actually have some problems with my MacBook Pro. You probably had it on your last one too, where sometimes even though your hand's not on the touchpad, but it's near it, it'll register that as a second something touching the touchpad. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. Somebody have to get your left yeah. hand off the keyboard to use it. So again, it kind of gets in the way, in my opinion. Well, yeah, but, that's mm-hmm. the issue with capacitive touch screens um, mm-hmm. were resistive that they don't have that because they really register the touch instead of the warmth. That's also why you couldn't use some sorts of styluses on the iPhone for as far as I know. Yeah, they actually yeah, had some... to generate a capacitive potential difference across it. Yeah, they yeah, actually exactly. had styluses that did that, I believe. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like this funny like knob that has to touch. It looks really weird. So I mean, it's it's a weird product to sell for Apple. You know, a, t- a touch a Bluetooth touchpad, but it's it makes you wonder where they're going in terms of the Macintosh operating system. I mean, I wish they would just Mac tack it onto the keyboard, just make it one device. Yeah, well, the thing is, I mean, Apple TV really nice to sit in bed and just touch your little trackpad um, instead of touching something like a keyboard and. Uh, you know, they're definitely utilities, and as Apple moves more into the touch arena, it makes sense that the next version of the Macintosh software is more touch-centric. Yeah. I'm sorry, you're using the word touch too many times in one sentence. Yeah, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be completely honest. You can edit this out. I had to restrain myself from giggling. Yeah, you're like, I'm going to be in bed and I'm going to touch the... What? <laughs> I, know, I, got, I got a bit of... <laughs> just edit it out. Oh, in any case, the uh, I like the idea of, of moving forward with touch on like the mouse pad type of thing. I don't like the idea of moving forward with touch on the screen of my computer. No, not a fan of that either. Yeah, I, I've got a six hundred dollar monitor in front of me, and this is you know this is a high quality Dell UltraSharp, and like keeping it clean is an uphill battle without having to keep touching it. You know. <laughs> well, also I have uh, well I happen to have uh, a touchscreen option on my uh, netbook, which is a Dell Latitude two thousand one hundred. But turns out I I really don't use it at all because it, it's rather ir- irrelevant because the screen is right in front of you. you. You don't have the urge to touch it, really. I think it's like, I think it's one of those things that if it's going to go touch, it's got to be a paradigm shift like the iPad mm. or the iPhone. And I, and I don't know, like, a lot of people uh, praise the iPad, and I haven't played with one myself, so I can't, I haven't joined the club of, oh, it's so cool. But <laughs> I like the idea, like, like I just got my Android phone, and it's just, it's just slightly bigger than the iPhone. And to me, this is, that makes, that makes it all the more usable because the keyboards now, I'm not flubbing keys anymore and everything. I, I feel like the size has made a substantial difference in my ability to type on it. And so for me, it was, it was something just like a, a middle ground between the last iPhone and this phone. 
versus not so much going into like the iPad category with a tablet type of deal. But I think that maybe not the iPad being the answer, but I think if we're going to go touch, it's got to be a different paradigm altogether. Maybe something like, uh, you know, Mass Effect where the screens and the keyboards actually aren't physical. They're just holograms. Yeah, something like Minority Report where you're doing this stuff at the computer. I I actually kind of see computers going in that direction. I actually um, did a story on on something like this. Uh, A a digital sign is is what it's uh, basically called, but... um, Basically, Intel's thrown together this thing that they want to uh, put in in shopping centers and the like. Uh, it's like an augmented reality slash touch display that sort of directs you to clothes, can do certain biometric stuff like identify whether you're a male or female, what kind of size you are. And it's just kind of um, really interesting to uh, to look at that because in this, uh, I actually had some hands-on time with the proof of concept, and it was interesting with with their touch display. I mean, they had this. It's basically like a two-screen thing, so it's a big standing display. The left-hand side is a see-through glass thing. The right side is an LCD screen. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the LCD screen, I believe, is an actual touch interface. Um, but the left side actually uh, is not a, a touch device in the strictest sense. It actually just has sensors around the edge of the actual screen. So the glass is just glass that has stuff projected onto it. And it has this, these sensors around, around that. I'm, I'm not sure what they're intending to do after that. But, um, I mean, that's kind of, I think, in terms of public touch stuff i think that's kind of the route is to have sort of big big standing displays wasn't that kind of uh kind of like connect you know you've got your display that you don't actually have to touch and it's a it's a scanning yeah i mean but this is very you have to literally touch the glass before the sensors will pick you up i mean it will i mean it will pick up that thing actually is equipped with a camera so the camera will see you as you step up to the display um and work out certain things about you but in terms of actually interacting with the display you still have to actually touch the glass otherwise you know because the sensors are only they're being fired across you know the surface of the glass okay, so yeah. touching them it doesn't actually work okay but, uh, i mean i think i think they're planning to <laughs> i actually asked um intel's digital signage um director you know wh- why you know aren't you guys using a touch display and he just basically said well it's kind of too expensive. People haven't bothered building these things in enough quantities to really warrant putting that in the proof of concept. But you know, if this sort of stuff, like it is very sort of minority reportish. Well, you know um, the. Uh, you know what it reminds me of when you when I see that screen with the the icons up there. It reminds me of that uh, sarcastic gamer thing where he parodies the Microsoft vision of the future. In the future. Uh, hallucinations yeah. of, of little icons will be an everyday occurrence thanks to our implants from Microsoft. If I was going to have Im- implants from anyone, it would not be Microsoft. Like, <laughs> you'd wake up every morning and you'd have to go through some ads before you could get started <laughs> and, with your and day. Every, every second update will be rubbish and you'll have to live with it for years before you get it fixed. Yeah, so mm-hmm. that'll just be what. Yeah. Have you seen that that video, the the Microsoft Vision of the Future feature yes, parody? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Classic. I, I wish Sarcastic Gamer would get paid and do more of those things. Mm-hmm. Those are sweet. Someone uh, had made a comic, uh, kind of in a similar vein, edition uh, on uh, Apple, <laughs> saying or Steve Jobs is like threatening to kind of come to the house of some of the nerds who are making fun of his products and. You know, beat them up and everything, and he's. They said, "Oh, you'd never get past my security keypad." He's like, "Well, why not? Because it has more than one button." Oh, that's so mean. 
Mm-hmm. Well, the uh, Microsoft is kind of trying to make everything a lot more user-friendly, kind of like where the Mac was a few years ago. Whereas the Mac nowadays, they're they're kind of moving towards this. Everything is super ultra streamlined. You know, there's one button for everything, and everything is context sensitive. And yeah, I don't know. Well, it's I'd, interesting to see their different takes on the uh, the Mac is usable on a left click basis, but there is a right click. So I don't know. It, it depends on your take on it. But let's that's the yeah. biggest problem with the whole uh, Magic Trackpad the thing. Because I mean, I love the concept, but um, the biggest problem with the touchpad, and I love the touchpad on my MacBook Pro too. But the whole problem is that uh, to do a right click, it registers it as both a regular click and a right click at the same time. Yeah. And the problem with that is that if you're trying to, for instance, play um, a game like Half Life Two. And you're trying to get the gravity gun working. Instead of uh-huh. holding onto an item, which would you would right-click to do, you'd press both fingers down, and it would just fire the thing. Because it's like, oh, but you're clicking. So and okay, so we'll just fire. Yeah. So well, that's, it, you know. it. It has some limitations yeah. on gaming. I, I won't. I won't uh, dispute that. But the thing is, is, is for regular computer usage outside of games, it's not that big a deal. Uh, but anyway, since we're t- kind of drifting into Apple, let's talk about the iPhone 4 slash the iOS release uh-huh. and impressions. Well, it actually only just came out over here on Friday. So, uh, like, less than a week ago over here. And Have you played with one? I haven't um, played with a Australian one. I have played with a, a, a non... like an imported one. But it's quite interesting to compare, I guess, the initial press that came out over <laughs> the States about you know the death grip particularly and and to what's been happening here and and it seems that most people are not having issues uh with the antenna placement uh, and people i mean people can get drop bars to drop but they're not experiencing call drops um yeah. and i think a lot of that is probably a factor of of us having um, like you know more um telcos for a start and just sort of greater um coverage and less strain on the systems yeah. Um, well, if you look yeah. at the U.S., the U.S. is big, but there's parts of it that are sparsely popular. And, and of course, all of all of your, I mean, your iPhone is exclusive to AT and T, whereas yeah. ours is pretty much every possible telco. Yeah, but aren't uh, your aren't going. your uh, telcos all GSM there? Uh, yep. So you, you, know. got, you guys are pretty much the only ones that use CDMA. Yeah, you have the CDMA. CDMA is evil, so we're not going to discuss that technology. Well, but uh, no, Verizon, the supposed supposed rock solid one that that always advertises their their CDMA. You know, they're supposed to yeah, be really good. It hasn't really to, anything to do with the technology itself. It's basically because they have a big coverage and a lot of antennas, hmm. which is what AT and T needs to do. Um, the only thing, the only thing I, I don't like about GSM, I don't know if this is relative only to GSM, is the the ever so often it pulls the towers, and so if I have it next to my clock radio to wake me up in the middle of the night, you know, ba 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 ba, I'm like, shut up, throw the phone on the floor, stop. <laughs> Get that all the time. Well, not so all the time. I try to keep it like I keep the the phone on my bookshelf across the room, so it, it has a less likelihood to to reach the the clock radio, but it still does. I keep it in my pocket, and my pants is somewhere so usually doesn't interfere with anything when i'm sleeping magic pants that detract from the gsm signal <laughs> exactly well, i went to uh to the at t store uh, two days ago two three days ago and um 
I played with the new iPhone 4, and I didn't, I, I couldn't really use the features because it's just a, a display model. But, uh, you know, it just looked like, to me, a gussied up iPhone 3G or 3GS. Um, it's faster. I mean, there's, my 3G is, is like dog slow now. Just you, you click on an application, it's like, do, 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 do. It's just waiting for that something to pop up. It actually kind of is getting kind of annoying with that slowness. Mm-hmm. The GS, I guess the 3GS and now the the 4 are much faster. But um, otherwise, it just looked kind of gussied up to me. It didn't really look like anything new or groundbreaking. Yeah, that's the discussion on many forums. While you read a lot of people who say, well, I don't really notice any big differences between 4 and 3GS. They're supposedly the 4 should be faster, but people don't really seem to notice. Yeah, it's it's faster on like a you know milliseconds type of thing where you don't notice it. I mean, that's that's the way. I mean, Apple have never been revolutionary in terms of the actual underlying technology. They're more of a sort of iterative manufacturer. So each successive thing is more polished and has yeah you know, a few more features. But like, I mean, Apple's trick is not to you know deliver phones that have the best hardware or the best new software. It's to just make a really damn polished gadget. And a phone, and, and well, the experience you know, is smooth. Like uh, one of the things yeah. is when I when I looked there, I ended up uh, picking the Samsung Captivate, which is an Android 2.1 phone. And the one of the things, like I have my coworkers praising me because I skipped out on Apple and now I'm using Android, and that that really wasn't like the motivating factor. Like it wasn't because I was trying to get away from Apple. Be an iconoclast. Yeah, and <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't have that kind of brand loyalty, but. And I say that all the time, but it's absolutely true. Like I, I'll I'll jump ship left and right on things, but in any case, the uh, the thing I've noticed since going to this phone is is the problem of syncing my playlist to it. Um, I can get the music on it with no problems, and I can see the music and genres and what have you. But the problem I run into is I'm used to uh, managing my library with playlists, and the playlists are ordered a certain way. Like I have the entire Mist soundtrack from Mist One through Mist Five all in a one playlist, and it's in order. When synced to my Android phone, it's not in order. Well, that's kind of a big mm-hmm. deal to me because then finding a particular track is hard because it's not where I'm used to it being. Yes, that, I can go in the phone and I can rearrange it, but like I don't want to rearrange it. I want it to sync the way it was in iTunes. Is that, is uh, that because iTunes has its own weird meta tagging system? It's some. I've yeah. tried. I've tried uh, converting the iTunes playlist to M3U for the phone. That didn't work. I tried um, using uh, something called iSyncer, which can actually sync right from iTunes to the phone. That didn't work. And then I used Double Twist, and that works just like iSyncer worked, but still ends up with the out-of-order playlist. So I just kind of have to... Either I've got to break the missed soundtracks into separate playlists, or I've got to figure out a way to get those two to work. So it's the, it's not all of my playlists. Like Some of my playlists have multiple albums in it and they're in the proper order so there's some kind of dis- deciding factor but in any case the the, bo- the reason i went to this thing is it's um it's a it's a bigger keyboard it's a to me a more usable phone it's really fast it's a great display and i just you know it's kind of like you know if you've been driving a certain car for a while even though it's an awesome car you know sometimes you just need a change that's that's where i've just kind of made the break i've had three years of iphone time for something else and you, but, uh, you sound very much like kind of where i am at the moment, I mean, I'm I'm not really particularly enthused about the iPhone 4. You know, I've got a little bit left to go on my contract, but um, you know, kind of thinking, well, you know, what else can I can I get? And um, yeah. I mean, I guess um, you and I are probably in a similar boat in that we're not sort of just 
the average Joe on the street who doesn't want, you know, a lot of features in their phone. They just want something they can play music mm-hmm. and calls and go on the internet. And if, if that's what you want, then I think particularly in music management, in terms of the elegance of the interface, Apple is still ahead with the iPhone. Yeah, Google, um, Google needs to come up with an iTunes type of thing. And yeah. they've got the muscle to do it. They should do it. Yeah, but you hear about the... Google is trying to create a gaming platform similar to Steam, but they're going to run everything, all these games, uh, through browser. Really? Was this what they yeah. were doing with Zynga? Because they put, back like a month ago, they, they uh, reportedly put all this funding into um, Zynga, who make, you know, amongst other things, Farmville. Um, yeah, the monstrous Farmville. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the devourer of souls. Well, it's well, just something... Yeah, they're trying to adapt all this technology they're trying to compete with steam well that, it'll my be interesting was, to see where it goes my thought was that um, if their os takes off that the only the thing that's going to hold me back i mean first off is going to be my customers and second off is gaming i mean if i didn't have pc gaming in my life i would probably have a mac so that's that's where you know the, the dividing line is so until they've got some gaming muscle there it's it's going to be you know a non-issue to me. The the one thing I wanted to, to say about the phone thing is is that this phone exists because of the iPhone. I mean, the the experience is so much aped from the iPhone. You cannot help but understand that this exists because the iPhone came out in the first place. I mean, if you remember, only if only a certain only maybe two three years before the iPhone came out, we were paying four hundred dollars for the Razor. Remember that phone? <laughs> um, barely. <laughs> Well, wow, that's true. The Motorola Razor was four hundred dollars when it came out, and Damn. the price probably was because the phone was so thin. Oh and, yeah, you know, Razor. Yeah, my mom had that. Phone. Yeah, com- compare that to to the <laughs> first iPhone, and it's just, you know, even though the iPhone was four hundred dollars when it came out, look what you got for four hundred dollars. I'm so, pretty sure the Razor was cheaper here in Europe. But by, also- maybe by the time it got there, or I don't know. But I remember <laughs> when it first came out, it was three ninety nine ninety nine. I'm like, really? I just I couldn't see it. So I mean, weird. Phones kept getting smaller and smaller, and then <clears throat> they hit a point, and now they're starting to get bigger again. Remember, remember when uh, phones were like essentially like a telephone attached to a car battery? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's uh, let's move on to our next point here. Blizzard's yeah. real ID. Um, mm. th- th- there was this scandal kind of came and went uh, in the interim between mm-hmm. deciding to do the podcast and doing the podcast. Uh, they were going to force people to use the real idea on the forums, and the backlash was such that uh, they they've backpedaled on it. And uh, I don't know what, for people who don't understand what this yeah. is about. The real ID would re- basically require them to post with their real first and last name, kind of like a a Facebookifying of their forums, which have generally been a very salty place okay. <laughs> to post. Uh, those forums have are big and whenever you have a large community of posters there's a lot of animosity and you know the general rules of of the internet apply so people are generally jerks to each other and so blizzard attempting to rectify this decided to kind of force players to uh, post with their real first and last name in hopes that maybe it would you know make them think a little bit more about what they're posting. But the backlash was 
enormous. Uh, some of the uh, Blizzard posters were kind of supporting this idea of people working at Blizzard. They said, well, see, it's not a big deal. Look, and they they posted with their real first and last name. And so uh, angry people with nothing better to do with their time, you know, started using the Internet to kind of make their point by posting this pr- pictures of uh, these employees, families and, you know, all the information, private information that, you know, you wouldn't generally want to share on the yeah. internet on their web forums. It's kind of a double-edged sword because I understand, I'm, I'm with them in theory. I mean, who isn't? I mean, who doesn't want to, to calm down this craziness of these people who think they can say whatever the hell they want, you know, because it seems like people, there are plenty of people who, you know, in real life are not like this, but for some reason when they're on the internet, it's just like the, the power of being able to say whatever you want without any repercussions just goes to their head. My my solution, personally, is just to, just avoidance. I just go someplace else. I don't deal with it. You know, if that's the way it's going to be here, I'm not going to be here. But I think the solution to their problem is is money, charge money. Um, hard OCP on their forums, on their their comment sections, you have to pay to post. And I don't mean per post. I mean you have to like register and pay to register and that seems to weed out all the all the idiots so but most of them are already paying subscriptions to wow and things aren't they yeah well blizzard is not afraid to charge you more for other things (laughs) i'm sure you've noticed that (laughs) so yeah it's i i don't i didn't object to it in spirit but you know i was going to be the kind of just the way it was with uru i was going to be kind of wait and see and see how it goes and uh yeah well i i personally thought it would have different effects that they didn't anticipate. For example, there are a lot of people who kind of flee into a game, try to find a different world where they can be someone else. Yeah, and, escapism. Yeah, and having your real name constantly well shown to people and be confronted with your own name kind of makes it well, more difficult for those people. But here's here's the flip side, though. Like I, I added Tim to my buddy list with uh, his email address as he added mine. I now see his name and I see which character he's playing on, and I can see him when he's in any Blizzard game. Same thing with with Sherry. Um, I added her as well, and I see her real name. But I also see like when she was in the beta for uh, StarCraft, I could see that. But what's it, the th- the important thing is like if we're not in the same realm, if we're not in the same game, we can still see each other online. It's kind of the universal buddy name. I think maybe what they need to do is create a universal buddy name and go from there. But they already switched the the hard and fast email address login. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to sort of look at all this stuff um, next to what Facebook's been doing, which is rolling out all this stuff that allows you to, to recommend pages and comment on pages. Um, third-party pages, obviously, like just ran- random sites on the internet, using your Facebook login, obviously, which is all linked to, you know, their actual IDs. And I think it's, you know, I mean, that hasn't gotten nearly as much flack as what's happened over at Blizzard. And I think the main reason for that is simply because with Facebook, it is it is all about your identity, um, who you actually are, or at least what your kind of self-styled persona online is. Yeah, um, my, whereas, my thought you know, is as, it's... As, it's what uh, Merlin Mann from uh, MacBreak Weekly referred to as personality spamming. Mm. It's just. Well, but, well, I mean, yeah. Whereas with Blizzard, as as you said, but it's it's very much about not being who you normally are. There's kind of two very different ideas about what you're using your identity for. Um, between you know, Wow, and you know, just being on Facebook. 
you know that I, I I jettisoned the bullet point, and I'm going to bring it back. Unfortunately, because I have something to say about it that uses WoW and this real idea concept. Um, there was an in-game uh, event run by some people from the Mule forums in Uru Live or, or Mulligan, whatever, and um, it was called Bomb, I guess. And in any case, the uh, the thing is, uh, one person said that they were signing off like they, they just don't they don't you know, appreciate bots and appreciate this event blah 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 and my thought is like you know people said well you, you didn't have to be in the city at that time you could have stayed out and people said well I don't think that's the solution I'm like and this is the, this is the thing with uh, Uru is like it's been a run, one trick pony for so long that people are just they want it to be a one trick pony and like I was playing in uh, on a PvP realm for a little while and I have never been handed my my rear so much over and over again <laughs> but uh in any case the uh my point being that like in world of warcraft there's there's so many different things you could do or spend your time on that like if you're not happy in one area just go someplace else for a little while you know those people will eventually get tired of what they're doing and they won't be there next time you come back same difference with uru they it how long did the event last did it last all night you know but that's that's those kinds of things like we have this uh, intolerance in Uru. I'm sorry, uh, PvP is uh, player versus player um, on those realms. In, in World of Warcraft, you've got uh, a normal realm, you've got a, a role-playing realm, and you've got a PvP realm. In normal and role-playing, I think they also do role-playing PvP. In PvP, your flag is always on, which means you can be attacked anytime, anywhere by anybody. Or anybody from an opposite faction. In a normal realm, in a role-playing realm, when they're not when they're not flagged, you can actually you know walk around in the world and encounter people from the opposite faction. They can't attack you unless your flag is flipped. Although in normal realms, there are people who grief who figure out ways to get you to actually accidentally flip it. Like you'll throw an area of effect spell and they'll throw their pet in there or something, or they'll jump in there and be attacked by a spell, and therefore they can kill you. But that. Even even with that, you can still sidestep that pretty easily. But the in PvP, it was like all gloves are off, and people like to get high level gear and go out and start killing all the lopies they can find. Mm-hmm. And you see, I basically just get around these problems by you know not really playing MMOs at all. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, it's just been forever since I've actually played one. Well, that's my thing. Is like you know, I, I was trying to get geared up. I was trying to do the dungeons. And I'm like, God, this is like, this is work. I don't want to do this. Yeah, you know, I, I, I want the benefit of the gear, but I don't want to spend you know weeks building up to it. And so you know, I, you I got want your game to feel like a game and less like a job. Exactly. So after like two weeks of of dungeons, I am sick of the dungeons. I am sick of the dailies, and so that's when I put WoW down. But anyway, the, the point. My point is that you know, Uru. Is, is still, you know, no, no matter what, wh- who you are in Uru, you pretty much, if you want to have the experience, you do everything that everyone else has done. You do the, the marker missions. For some reason I think that's wrong. Is that what they're called again? <laughs> you do the marker missions, you do the stories, you do the the journeys so that you, you get the complete alto of your choosing. And that's that. But, you know, with WoW, you could spend all day helping out lobbies or you could spend all day leveling up your leatherworking or whatever or you could be a cook or whatever um this uh grind your gear do your raids is is kind of optional you can still you can quest to 80 and then you can just start a new tune to quest 80 again so it's because there's so much difference in variance like the the issue of like 
somebody has done something I don't like this day, and that means that I just don't want to play this game anymore. That's just silly, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, the game that everyone's kind of playing at the moment, it seems, at least everyone that I know, is is StarCraft 2. Yeah. Uh, who's actually played it here? I have. Who's, who actually has it? Sorry, because I've, I've played it as well, but I was in the beta and I haven't played it since. The beta? Yeah, I yep. played the beta a little bit, actually. That's but, how we say uh, it here, Jen. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I bought the full game. Like, so, I mean, with the full game, have you been a multiplayer junkie? Like, was that the first thing you jumped into, or are you gone through uh, the campaign? No, I kind of danced around both. Like, I would play a couple of campaign missions, and then I would play a couple of multiplayer missions, and then I kind of trying to take a little bit of everything. Uh, this is also my first real exposure to the real ID system, since uh, I had stopped playing WoW before they instituted that in a patch. Uh, but And that's kind of really neat. I really think that's where the future of gaming is, this kind of interconnectivity. It's neat that I'm able to, you know, chat with people that are playing World of Warcraft, you know, who are on my real ID list. And it's neat that I can... That it, it kind of... Uh, it connects with Facebook, but in a non-intrusive way, where it basically scans your Facebook profile and it looks through your friends list. And anyone else in that friends list who has StarCraft II, it will give you the option of adding them to your real ID list, which is kind of a nice, quick way to fill out your your friends list. So it's um, kind of like, like what, Steam, but a slightly more efficient. Yeah, it's. I think that this their Blizzard's new Battle.net system that they've kind of been really uh, building up lately, and and they forced everyone playing World of Warcraft to kind of uh, move their accounts over to these Battle.net servers because they're trying to create their own like their own sort of uh, database like Steam for Blizzard games on Battle.net. But I, I think it's really kind of neat. When Diablo 3 comes out, you know, it's, that's going to be interconnected the same way. Yeah, it's, it's good. I, I like the idea of it, but the, uh, the problem I have is that it's, you know, it's only Blizzard. Right. So mm-hmm. that's, that's where, like, you know, Steam isn't only uh, Valve, you know. Your, your problem course. really that you just don't have enough friends, isn't it, John? <laughs> my problem is I don't have the kind of the problem is I don't have the kind of devotion that it requires to 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 be a one trick pony gaming person. That's like I've, yeah. I've never become that great at multiplayer in certain areas because I just don't play that game long enough. Like I've got too many other games I'd rather play. Actually, you know? it seems rather bizarre. I mean, sort of looking at it in, from that perspective, Blizzard put so much into building. Up Battle.net when they only really release like one game every ten years or something. Yeah, like, it's gonna be like two <laughs> yeah. games you can play on the service. I mean, their games are solid. I, mean, I know that much, but the uh, they, other... it seems a weird, weird combination of sales models. Like, would, would you say StarCraft is built like WoW? Like it's designed, you know, with the theory of sp- making you spend as much time as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I would say so. They're building up a uh, sort of a store system where people can sell custom maps and things like that and add-ons in the game for a couple of bucks, kind of like an app store, like Mm -hmm. what Apple's doing. Uh, Also, I was really impressed when I was looking through other people on my friends list uh, profiles, because the game tracks so much information. I could look up pretty much every single match that player has ever played, and I could bring up, you know, graphs, you know, actions per minute, meters, uh, Build orders. I can find out what order they built every unit in that game. 
Yeah, it's starting to be getting a little big brotherish, don't you think? Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. it's stuff that I would never need to know, but I'm sure there's someone out there who does. You know, these little real hardcore kind of players. Well, information they're, they're tailoring, I think, a lot to Korea, aren't they? You know, because uh, yeah, yeah, but they, they track and care about those kinds of things. The, but it's it's amazing how much information they track. Just like in World of Warcraft, when they had the, the achievement system and they started tracking all that crazy information, it's always kind of mind blowing to look up that stat page and. That was see one of those things. Like when I just logged into World of Warcraft lately, um, I noticed that uh, they've added some features to the game that re- that uh, remove my need for add-ons. You know, things like like the quest being marked on the map so you can find where you're going. You know, because like the quest used to tell you know up in the southwest there's this cave like s- up in the southwest you know and so you try to find you're you're in the area and so meanwhile you know when you're low level this is a real problem because you're having to fight all these monsters while you're running around looking for where you're supposed to go whereas um, now that they mark it you're okay we're going this away and even though the the marking is not you know laser precise it's you know it saves me a lot of trouble. Like, with I know like, to look in this general area for the four of Avalon or whatever. Yeah. And let's face it, it's because Blizzard don't actually need money anymore. <laughs> they, pretty much, they pretty much, StarCraft 2 uh, and Diablo 3 will basically just give them a license to print money. I mean, speaking, they can Speaking of money, I, I have to say thumbs down to Blizzard's decision to charge $60 for each individual part of the StarCraft trilogy. That's more than they've yeah. you know charged yeah. for just yeah, the regular that's... retail. The uh, like the collector's edition is like over a hundred dollars, but the uh, <laughs> which is insane in itself. But the the regular retail copy of StarCraft II uh, is sixty dollars, which I just think is insane. I wonder how much of a hand Activision had in that decision. Yeah. So so Jeff, I mean, you, you said you've played some of the single player. I actually finished the campaign okay, yesterday. So, campaign. so is it the sort of thing that you would in fact pay? 60 of your dollars for another campaign of that because basically you're not paying for the multiplayer again you're really just paying for the campaign yes but well actually blizzard has been saying that they're going to kind of treat each of the different uh additions like a like an expansion pack so there's going to be new units and stuff to use in multiplayer with each in different mm. edition but so how, uh, does, yeah. how does that work online though does that mean what does that mean for if someone plays someone who doesn't have one of the new editions like I don't event. know. It's kind of. I mean, they kind of had a similar issue when the Brood War came out for the original StarCraft, mm. and it but just kind of uh, segmented the user base. Yeah. But I don't know. There's enough players playing that game that I don't think it'll ever be a problem. <laughs> yeah, I I guess they'll just have all the graphics in your first installation, and then you'll gradually unlock stuff when you get the expansion packs which is more well, of a, a marketing term i guess because i remember bioshock i think it was bioshock 2's first dlc where it was all like oh we we're releasing this, these new map packs and these new weapons and it turned out that all the data was actually already in the original game they just like you, you're effectively paying the extra for this little code that you downloaded to unlock all the data that was already there yeah, they did that with uh, Assassin's Creed 2 for some of the DLC, didn't they? Uh-huh. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, so, uh, like, I mean, with Blizzard, I mean, Blizzard of all people, I'm sure they already know exactly, well, if not exactly, they already pre- have a pretty good idea of what's happening in the second and third games. They're already on top of, you know, all the stuff that's going to go into that. Wouldn't you say that's kind of true of uh, other things like, you know, 
when the Sims 3 came out, we're just like, you know, when's the first expansion? You know, planned out. It's like sort of it, this this attitude of of we will basically already have this spare content, but what we'll do is we'll take that out of the original, give you the full game, and then these extra bits that we already pretty much have ready, we'll just kind of charge them, charge charge you for them, you know, piecemeal, just to sort of pad out. I mean, it, it, uh, DLC, I, I mean, I don't know about you guys, I'm kind of over it as like a, a thing, because, you know, the, the pieces of content are never really that fantastic. Um, well, I don't know, I, I think the DLC for uh, Borderlands was pretty solid. I, I feel like I got my money's yes, worth. I didn't with enjoy that. Borderlands as much as you did, like, I, I played through... Yeah. Um, I, I feel one. like Zombie Island and uh, the uh, Secret Army of General Knox was a sub- were both substantial. Yeah, but uh, I haven't played the the Underdome thing. But uh, because well, in my opinion, get it. Uh, Starcraft Two is a six or Wings of Liberty specifically is a sixty dollars worth of game. The campaign is really long. There's about thirty missions, mm-hmm. which was is a lot because uh, the original Starcraft had ten missions for each of the core races. So it's about the same number of missions as original StarCraft, but just in a Terran campaign. And I mean, there's a, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there are about five missions where you're actually controlling Protoss. That's cool. I so you get to kind of play Protoss. I feel like I already knew that. I think Maybe they I'm probably just... have said that in interviews <laughs> yeah. and at BlizzCon or something. Mm. But yeah, it's it's. I felt like there's more than my money's worth out of it and plus there's all the multiplayer that's going to keep me busy until the next one mm. and uh, they have this really ambitious uh, battle.net uh, matchmaking that they really put a lot of time and effort into which is designed to try to closely get you next to people uh, of your same skill level so, so all right, you're always Jeff, going wait, to be where challenged have where have you been seated uh, I met Silver, Silver League. I'm not very good. <laughs> yeah, well, that, actually, talking about same level battles, that's something very annoying in Bioshock 2 multiplayer. I oh, well, I'm I'm still well. I sometimes play, but not very often, and so I'm still bronze. And there are all people around me, silver and gold, and it's very hard to level up because you constantly get shot. Yeah, that was the thing I had with uh, Modern Warfare 2. I, I just came too late to the game. And it's uh, when I started doing the multiplayer, like I was never matched with anyone anywhere near my level. So, you know, if I got a kill, it was just a stroke of luck. Like somebody would hammer him down and I would happen to give the killing shot. Oh, yay, I'm awesome. But I, but I mean... But I mean, one of the interesting things was, I mean, I was worried, the reason I didn't get that is because I realized, you know, oh, well, everybody's already so good at that, there's absolutely no point in me even trying to do that, because I would just, like, get pulverized into the ground, through the ground, through the core of the earth, and just, you know, would not have any fun ever at all. But, I mean, if you take a look at Halo's... If you take a look at Halo's matchmaking, it's done in such a way that if you're new, you only fight other new people... And then as your rank increases, you fight other yeah, people but, who have ranks similar to you. So Yeah, but given that there is a population large enough that there are those new people. You are That's underestimating true. going through the core of the Earth. That sounds <laughs> really cool, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the... Uh, <clears throat> I think that's that's about the end, unless somebody's got some compelling StarCraft II information. Well, the uh, yeah. just to kind of touch on the matchmaking real quick, uh, 
the way it works is it takes you through a series of five placement matches Mm-hmm. And which they're just kind of random matches. You get put up against anyone else who's also taking their placement matches. And so you don't know who you're going to fight or what the conditions are going to be on. But based on your performance, and it's tracking more than just whether you win or lose. It's tracking how many actions per minute you're making, you know, how, uh, what kind of units you're building, how quickly you're building, how quickly you're gathering resources. It's tracking all those different things. And it kind of makes a decision and it places you in an initial bracket uh, like my older brother or younger brother who's uh, really good at the game he's like platinum bracket and I'm in the silver bracket so that should tell you a lot about me <laughs> but uh, I don't know and like, from that point on you'll go up and down depending on how you're yeah I was gonna say it doesn't does it leave it open for you to improve I mean if you get better you're always gonna be you know wearing this mark of shame for you know being sucky in the beginning well, that in, initially it might place you incorrectly because you might just get really lucky and play against a bunch of people who really stink at the game, and it you know artificially places you in a higher bracket than you might. But then you get beat down. You get beat end. down until you kind of level out and equalize to where you actually belong, and then it matches you up with opponents accordingly once you're there. You still have you still have to be sorted across like every matchup type, yeah. So one v one, two v two. You do five uh, matches to be seated for each. I think you just do. I think you just do the five matches for all of them. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't actually tried that. I think. I think in the beta you had to do five for every match type. Um, yeah, I think it might be that way. Yeah, but they also before you even get into the placement matches, they give you an option of going through fifty. Uh, 50 practice rounds to kind of like warm up. Nice. You get 50, so 53 generous. rounds that have real no consequences, and you kind of just a chance where they make things really easy. Like they put a big rock in blocking the way from pe- so people can't like rush you right at the beginning of the <laughs> yeah. the game. They have to tear up this rock first. So they, yeah, they kind of why. make it really easy conditions so that you can kind of learn how to play the game and get some practice in and figure out how things work. That, that, that's why I think I haven't actually bought a full copy of StarCraft 2 yet. I just can't imagine playing 50 matches of something before I even get to the bit where I get seated. You before can, I even you get can to skip where I'm those playing. matches. Oh, you can. I, I know you can. Yeah, there's a like, button that says skip. And you can skip all yeah. your 50 practice matches if you want. Why 50? Well, I don't know. Just, maybe that seems like a good round number. <laughs> like, yeah. If you haven't five. figured out how to play multiplayer after 50 matches... You know, <laughs> then you yeah, yeah you'll know you have to take the game back. See, that's that's it's the reverse why I can't stand like uh, starting a new tune in Warcraft. It's just that you start so low and you you I mean when you when you're playing your first tune, that basic uh, world and what you have to figure out at that time is okay. But as you know, as you've gone through all these complexities and learned to, to level certain stats in your armor and learned how to balance your talent tree when you go back to square one with the new tune it's like oh my god i gotta go through all this again and i just can't imagine doing all that well that's the feeling you have with many games for example the first bioshock when you replay it it's rather annoying that you have no weapons at all well but bioshock gets moving fast so yeah okay that's true yeah whereas you know we're talking better examples we're talking, you know, with uh, you know Warcraft. We're talking weeks before you're, you know, 
you're into like the 30 or 40 levels you know just it takes a while i'm not but, maybe uh, wow players so i have no idea well anyway uh mars is, is going to wrap up the the talk now all right okay all right well uh for dct talk this has been bert jeff Janathus, Nareem, and me miles and me mars thanks for joining us everyone hi this is jeff wise from the cavern today for our musical selection this month, we have a special remixed arrangement composed by Mistfan, who goes by the name of Tansen on Overclocked Remix, a popular database of video game music arrangements and remixes. He composed this piece entitled, Thanks for Dinner, based on the music featured in Uru. Tansen wrote us a message when we informed him that we were interested in using his piece. He writes, First, I'd just like to say that I'm very excited that my arrangement was chosen to be featured in the podcast. It's not often that I have my music featured like this, and it really means a lot that you like it. I suppose the best way to start this would be to explain the unusual name, Thanks for Dinner. I had met up with DJ Pretzel and some of the OC Remix crew at PAX 2009 after their panel, and we hung out a bit afterward. We ended up going to Gameworks where, as you probably guessed, he paid for my dinner. It was completely unexpected, and I told him right there that to thank him for it, I'd make a new song for the site. So that's what I did. I wanted to do a track from the game that hadn't been covered on the site, and I was on a major missed kick at the time, having recently played through the majority of the series again. Most of the series had entries on the site, aside from Riven and Uru, and Riven is so ambient that it would have been difficult to use as source material. Uru, on the other hand, had some nice melodies to work with, and a very cool atmosphere. I chose Badlands primarily because I'd already had some ideas floating around in my head for what I could do with it. The intro with the chorus synth and the basic drum pattern were my starting point, and from there I started to fill things in. My two primary goals for the final mix were to stay fairly true to the original using primarily electronic instrumentation, and to feature elements of the Minkata music that was in Uru Live, but not on the Uru soundtrack CD. It ended up being a rather slow process because I had so much stuff going on that my computer couldn't handle it well. I'd have to mute multiple tracks while I worked on others, then render what I had so I could listen to how they sounded together in the mix. Then I'd make my changes and repeat the process. I can't recall how many times I went through that process, but I spent weeks finishing this track. It was a fun track to work on, though, and I'm very proud of how it turned out, especially after Tim Larkin himself expressed his enjoyment of it. Thanks again to The Cavern Today for featuring my arrangement. I hope you all enjoy it as well.
Well, you'd think the podcast was almost over, and you'd be right. Fortune seems to make intentional attempts to thwart our efforts some days, as almost the very moment we finished our recording of TCT Talk, there was missed news. The Cyan Mist games are now on Steam, and for a mere $20 you can get Cosmic Osmo, The Manhole, Real Mist, Riven, Spelunks, and Uru The Complete Chronicles. Also, Real Mist, Riven, and Uru Complete Chronicles are available separately if, for some unforeseen reason, you wouldn't want the entire Cyan Complete Pack. You want it, you know you do. As Janathus has admitted to rebuying games on Steam for the convenience of backing up and maintaining his game library, this puts the Mist series into a prominent place in PC gaming, which is where it should be. Steam is the leading online distribution method for gaming. And that's a reputation earned by the high quality of that service, the community found therein, and the sheer comprehensive volume of their game library. If for no other reason, Steam is a boon to gamers for the simple fact that optical discs aren't needed to be kept around or in your computer's drive to start and run games. So if you're tempted at all, I'd say head down to store.steampowered.com and look up the Cyan Complete Pack. It probably doesn't hurt to mention that The Cavern Today does have a group on Steam, called, oddly enough, The Cavern Today. So if you find yourself on Steam, and in search of a small group of podcasters for camaraderie, well, don't hesitate to look us up. Before we go, we'd like to thank Tansoon for allowing us to feature his remix on the podcast. It's not every day that we find some musical brilliance in the Mist community. And while it took a while from the point of discovery to the point of being ready to feature the piece, we are no less thankful for the experience, as not only does it brighten up the podcast, but the blends of sounds and influences in that piece have earned it a prominent place in many of our staffers' musical libraries. So congratulations on that, Tansoon, and thanks again. So for The Cavern today, this is Mowog signing off. Thanks for listening. Call is being recorded. That never gets old. <laughs> yeah, do you do a five, six part harmony. This call. This call. This call is being recorded. You require additional pylons. Okay, I don't feel like doing the intro. Who wants to do it? I'll do it. Yeah, sure. So, what? What? Uh, what should I say? What people say when they okay. intro. Hello. <laughs> One moment, please. Uh, try not to breathe on your mic, please, Morris. Hey. All right. How does this sound? Lovely. Lovely. Is it better than the previous one? You, you sound silvery and angelic. Just wait a bit, then you can edit this um this awkward silence. Oh, we get like, yeah. Bit. Post. We'll fix it in post. Just go. Alright, the room is alphabetically sorted. I don't know why this is such a problem. Well, oh, well, oh because I didn't see my own name in the list. That's why. <laughs> right. This has been TCT Talk. Uh, signing off. Goodbye, everyone. Is well, that okay? Or, I mean, that was I awesome. I've never done that before. <laughs> For TCT Talk, this has been... Okay, fine. Alright, alright. This is going to be so much and... fun editing. <laughs> Look at that thing. That thing has numbers on it. <laughs>